Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Man, the Christmas songs that we have, they're some of the best songs. And we, we save them for this month, and we get to celebrate and sing them together. And uh, we are in a season of songs of Christmas. And I, I want to welcome you particularly tonight to the beginning of a series that we are calling Songs of Christmas. And this particular discussion that we're starting now is going to go through every Sunday in December, including our Christmas Eve service. And we're going to talk about uh, how these songs point us over and over and over again to the message, the true meaning of Christmas, back to the gospel, back to some incredible truths in God's word. Just, just pay attention next time one of these songs comes up that you maybe have heard for a thousand times. Maybe it's on a TV commercial. Maybe it's on the radio. Maybe we're going to sing it here at church. And just just remind yourselves of the truths that are being presented because these writers are taking ideas from Scripture and they're putting them into song, and it's pretty powerful. So we are going to travel over the next four weeks through the Christmas story together, and we're going to see where some of our songs of Christmas match up. And you may learn something about a particular song. You may learn something about a particular word or a particular line that will, you'll then be able to carry into this season. And when you're walking in that department store and you hear the song come up all over the radio and it uses that line and it uses that word, you can worship even in that moment and appreciate it all the more. So this is Songs of Christmas, part one. This is also something that you can use as a friend to friend. If you want to talk to someone about being a part of Branch Life, this is a great series to invite people to come and listen to and be a part of as we talk about different songs. So what song are we talking about tonight? Tonight we want to direct your attention to a song called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now I'm not going to sing this song for you. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll sing this song for you. No, I'm not going to do it. But here's the words. For O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the first song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourn in, mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Best guess when that song was written. This song was not originally written in English. It wasn't until the 1860s that it was translated to English and then matched with the music that we have for it today. A hundred years before that, in the 1700s, this song was written in Latin. And it's been translated over now the centuries and is one of the songs that we sing regularly even today. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. What this song points to is, is an interesting dynamic in the Bible. You have the entire Old Testament, Genesis, all the way through up until you get to Matthew. And the Old Testament has one thing in common. They are looking forward to the coming Messiah. 
they believed because of prophecy and because of teaching and, and through, the, through the first five books of the Bible and then through the minor prophets and the major prophets, all the songs that we sing in Psalm, that the Messiah was coming, that, that there would be a time where the Savior of the world would come. And, and Israel really needed the Savior of the world to come because they kept getting in trouble and they kept having some really horrible things happen. And when you read through the history of the nation of Israel, they were anticipating this return, this day of the Lord when he would come and show up. And so this song comes from that sentiment. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we are longing for you to be with us. Then you have the second part of the Bible, the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we look back to the arrival of the Savior. We look back to the birth of Jesus when Emmanuel did come. And so tonight, we want to appreciate this word, Emmanuel, and understand why it comes up in Scripture, both in the Old Testament, people who are looking forward, and in the New Testament, people who are looking back. And this word, Emmanuel, shows up over and over and over again in the songs of Christmas. So let's dive in. You don't have to turn here, but if you have your Bibles, you can go to Isaiah 7. We're just going to point out this first, but we're actually going to spend most of our time in Matthew 1 and in Luke 2. But the verse in Isaiah 7, before we read it, you need to understand when it was written. It was written 700 years before Jesus' birth. 700 years before Jesus' birth. Now, I will confess, I have trouble remembering what happened seven days ago, let alone 700 years ago. And if I tried to tell you what was going to happen in seven days, it'd probably be like 50-50 chance I would get it right. But here we have in Isaiah a prediction, a prediction that happened 700 years before Jesus was born. And here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. So 700 years before Jesus came, there was a prediction. Now predictions, prophecy is a funny thing. If you ever meet a prophet and they start telling you about the future and they are wrong, they make a mistake, it's incorrect, even in the slightest detail, you have to discount that prophet. They do not do a good job at prophesying. Here's one of the incredible things about the Bible. Every prophecy that was predicted before it happened and has already come true has been accurate. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament connected to very specific details about the coming of Jesus. They were fulfilled in Jesus to the letter. And it's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible to be the word of God, because this kind of stuff can't just be made up. And If you wanted to try to, you're like, I'm going to list all the prophecies and I'm going to make them come true. You couldn't do that. I mean, there's just so many and it's so random. But, but over and over again, prophecies happen. And every prophecy that's been fulfilled to date has been completely accurate. And it makes you wonder about the prophecies that haven't yet been fulfilled. There are prophecies that have happened in the Bible, things that we are told that are going to happen that aren't going to happen and that, are, that will happen someday in the future. Man, that, that's a whole sermon series of its own. But this particular prophecy 
talk very specifically about a virgin conceiving, we don't have to go back to health class to understand that that's not a thing, and bear a son, and the name that they will call him will be Emmanuel. So let's jump to Matthew chapter 1, the very beginning of the New Testament, where we start to hear the story of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, we are introduced to a character named Joseph, who's one of the key players in the Christmas story. And Joseph is going to get an announcement from an angel about the birth of Jesus. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. He's engaged to the love of his life, this, this gal named Mary, and they're going to be planning their life together, and, and they're getting ready to pick out rings, and they're looking about how many sheep they're going to have, right? And they're trying to think about what their lives are going to look like, and they're just two young people in love and ready to spend the rest of their lives together. And then Mary tells Joseph that she's pregnant, and he didn't have anything to do with it. Womp, womp, womp. And Mary says, but Joseph, I didn't. It didn't. I didn't. I didn't. It just, it just happened. And he went, right. Right, Mary, because that happens. She goes, I swear, I swear, I swear that it, I didn't cheat. I didn't, I didn't do anything, but I'm, I'm pregnant, and I think God did it. Okay, Mary, now you've crossed the line. You, you have to understand where Joseph is in this story. He is not thrilled with what's going on. And there is nobody, Mary's not going to be able to convince him. Nobody who believes Mary is going to be able to convince him that this just went south real quick. So look at this story. And this is where we are in the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, engaged to Joseph before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now he was going to be a gentleman about the whole process. I'm sure he was mad. I'm sure he was hurt. I'm sure he was upset and there's no talking him out of this. But he's just going to do the nice thing and he's going to just break it off and, and quietly go their separate ways. Verse 19, uh, excuse me, verse 20 but as he considered these things, and even that's a really nicely worded sentence, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, if there's nobody on earth that convinced me, God's going to have to be the one. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet 700 years ago. And here's what it fulfilled. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Now Joseph has that moment of realization where all of a sudden everything that he thought to be true wasn't and he believed what Mary was saying. 
Just imagine the, 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 the damage that this did to his brain. He's a good Jewish boy. He has been taught forever about the coming Messiah. He knows the name Emmanuel. He knows it means God with us. He knows that they are waiting and praying in anticipation for a virgin to conceive. And to this point, it had never even crossed his mind that it was happening to them now. But an angel came and told him that this is it. This is the Messiah. This is God with us. And Joseph went all in. He went all in, ready to be scorned, to be looked at, to be judged, being betrothed to a pregnant woman, ready to walk down this trail. And whatever is involved in bringing God to man, Joseph is now a part of that as the stepdad of Jesus. And he reacts to this simple truth. Joseph, the angel, says, God will now be with you. Think about this truth. The word Emmanuel represents this truth that God is with us. God with us. That's an incredible idea. Last week, I told you about my love for one specific candy. Anybody remember? Nobody went out and bought me candy this week, so I'm a little hurt. Don't buy me these candy. Red Hots, right? Little Red Hots. You used to get them at the penny store, and you could buy Red Hots, and the penny would buy you the Red Hots. Now, I have with me Red Hots. Red Hots are little, and they're tiny, and you can carry them around. When you start thinking about God with us, I want you to think about a Red Hot, the little tiny Red Hot that, like, goes on the buttons of a snowman cookie, the little tiny red dots that go in the holly decorations that you carry around with you, and start thinking about this idea of God with us. You and I are the red hots. We're, we're just these, these little tiny dots, right? And we're insignificant, and there's, there's nothing great or incredible about us, and then God comes down to us. It's kind of it's kind of like God being present with us. If we're a little red hot, then God is something much bigger than that. Right? Put a red hot next to this. This little tiny red hot, me, next to God. God with us. This is what's represented in this truth and this idea. God is so much bigger and so much grander than us. Maybe you know this information. If you do, you're weird. Do you know how many suns, how many earths fit in the sun? An earth is a little bitty speck compared to the sun. But if you wanted to fill up the sun with the earths, it would take 1.3 million earths to fill up the sun. Now, the sun is not a very big star in comparison to other stars out there. There's a much bigger star named Betelgeuse out there. And if it took 1.3 million Earths to fill up the sun, how many suns would it take to fill up the star Betelgeuse? Well, that's just a small number of 1.6 billion suns to take up the space inside of Betelgeuse. But Betelgeuse is not even the biggest star. The biggest star that we know of is approximately 3,900 light years away. We're never getting there. And this gigantic star named V.Y. Canis Majoris, I'm not smarter than a sixth grader, but Google helps with this kind of stuff, can fit, here's how many Earths it would take to fit inside the biggest star we know of, three quadrillion 
729 trillion Earths. Start to even try to wrap your brain about the giganticness of that. God is bigger. God is the creator of all of those things. God is massive. And he has to be. He has to be over all of those things in order for us to even exist. Who am I? A little speck on a speck inside of a speck inside of a speck. And I can't even get close to the biggest thing out there. Who am I that God would even think or consider me? Who am I that God would decide to take all of his greatness and become present in the size of a little red hot? But when God came down to be with us, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God is with us. Today, I want you to remember this phrase, and we're going to build on it. God is always with us. We just don't always notice. Now, if, if I came to your house and I dropped the big red giant beanbag in the middle of your living room and you came downstairs, you would go, something's changed. I noticed something that's different here. This wasn't here before, but now it's here. I remember the first time this showed up in our house. Jenny got it off of the Facebook marketplace or something, thought it'd be awesome. And so it ended up in our house. And I walk in the house. I'm like, there's, there's a giant red beanbag great. And so we put it downstairs and it ended up in the corner. Guess, guess what happened the 10th or 15th or 100th time I walked through that room? I stopped noticing it. I stopped paying attention to it. Something this grand and something this big was present in my life and I became callous to it. When we travel through life, when, when you first get saved, when you first realize what Christmas is all about, and you know that this is God with us, it's life-changing, it's transformational, you're going to stand there, you're going to be like, something's changed. My life has changed. When I realize God is with me, it changes everything. But some, for some reason, we get used to God being around. And then we start accusing him of not being there. God, listen, God is always present. The problem is not with God. God has made himself available to us. God, in the Christmas season, literally came to be with us on this planet. He became one of us. And God is present in our lives. The problem is that we just don't always notice God. And so tonight we want to just talk about some, some ways that we can change that. And we can, even in this Christmas season, address this particular problem. We don't have time tonight to go into a lot of details, so we're going to continue the conversation tomorrow. And tomorrow on, on uh, uh, YouTube and Facebook, we're going to talk about the five places that you always find God. And I want to give you a little preview to this conversation. When you study the phrase, I am with you, what, when God promises to be with you, what situations is he talking about? Well, the first place you will find God is God is with us in the fight. God is always with us in the fight. Look at Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hook. God is with you in the fight, in the thing that you need strength for. And some of you here tonight are battling. 
You are in the midst of a relationship battle, a financial battle, a health battle, a battle with addiction. Maybe it's your own. Maybe it's some, a family member that you have. And you feel like you are in the churning of the waves and you're being tossed around and you're trying to go after it. Listen, you do not have to fight this battle in your strength. You should not fight this battle in your strength because God is with you in the fight. God is right alongside of you and he is the one strengthening you and helping you. And listen, it's not that God's not there. It's sometimes we don't notice he's there. I'm going to thank you, God, but no thank you. I'm going to deal with this on my own. We do it all the time. But whatever fight you are facing, I challenge you, run to God. You think about the story in the Old Testament where Moses is standing over the army and they're, they're battling down in the valley before him. And when he has his hands raised to God, they win the fight. And when his hands drop, they start losing. And so he raises them back up again until he loses all of his strength and he can't hold it up and they start losing. He finally gets his friends to come around and say, hold my hands up. Hold my hands up to God because God's the one that has to win this battle. A literal picture of God being present in the fight. Hold your hands up to God in the fight. Hold your hands up to God in the fight and let him battle for you. Let him be your strength. He is present with you in the fight. And maybe you're not in the fight now, but you might be in it tomorrow. You might be in it in 2020. Don't forget the presence of God in the midst of that fight. The second place that God is always with us is in this age. God is with us in this time and in this place. The word age is a fascinating word in this verse. Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus was born and when he died on the cross, it was the beginning of a a very specific time period, an age. An age where God would have a specific plan for a specific set period of time. And we are in the midst of this age. Some, some call it the church age. This is the age of the church. Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. That is the mission of the church. And this age will last until the return of Christ. And God said to us, the church, you are my plan A. You are my hands and feet. You are what I am using to make a difference in this world. So go and make disciples. And by the way, when you do this disciple-making thing, I am with you. We have this crazy idea that in 2020, everybody who's connected to Branch Life should reach someone for Jesus. You should reach someone that doesn't believe in God, that disagrees with the Bible, that is skeptical of of God's word, that, that looks at believers as kind of crazy and weird, and you have to go this next year and change their mind. And you're gonna go, me? How am I gonna do that? How am I gonna be the one that takes someone from thinking this way to thinking this way? I mean, I I'm just a little nobody. Listen, God is with you. God is with you in this age as you go after people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to give and present to them the gospel and the option of following Jesus. God is the one who will move in hearts. He has asked you in this time to be his hands and feet, but allow the power of the Holy Spirit to run your words, your steps, and your lives. And God will be with you as you go and make disciples. It's crazy talk to think that everyone connected to a church is going to lead someone to Christ in one year. That's crazy. But God is with us. And if he chooses to, he, t- he could. So go, 
and make disciples. And remember, God is with you. This season is a particular opportunity for us to be reaching out to our ones. For whatever reason, in good cheer, uh, the good cheer that Christmas brings, people are more open a lot of times to receiving an invitation to hear the gospel, to come to your home, to be a part of a conversation, to exchange gifts and tell them why you believe what you believe. And one of the things we're doing as a church is we're giving a gift to Pottstown and we're saying, hey, we want to offer a Christmas for Pottstown and we're going to do it two times on Christmas Eve. You could do this for yourself, but I think you'd be missing an opportunity. Let's do this for others. And let's go crazy as a church in the power of God to ask him to move mightily through this Christmas Eve service. And maybe, just maybe, your one could come to Christ in this time. Or you could help someone in your small groups one. Or a new one that you don't even know of who comes as a stranger would come to Christ because they participated in this opportunity to hear the gospel in this special season, in this special place, in this special time. So how am I going to do this, Pastor Josh? How are we going to make this special? When you sat down, you saw a card on your chair. It's our Christmas Eve invitation card. And you have one. Grab it and hold it and wave it at me. You have one. And if there's an empty seat next to you, you have two. And there's an empty seat behind you or in front of you, you have three. I want you to take as many cards as you can tonight. There are stacks of cards all around the foyer. And I want you to hand them out. How many cards should I hand out, Pastor Josh? 101 cards. This week. In the name of Jesus. Go crazy. Grab the posters and hang them up. Post things online. Take pictures. Write blog posts. And let everyone know that they need to be there. They need to be a part of this. And, and you may have a conflict on Christmas Eve, and I know God understands that. We're not telling you to, to change all this stuff. But however, whatever opportunities come your way, whether it's a sermon series or a Christmas Eve service or something that's going to happen in 2020, run towards it with the power of God. Be all in. And let's see what God can do because he's with us in this age. God is with us in the valley. If you look at Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are what? With me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley is typically a place where we're sad. The valley is a low spot. And again, some of you are here tonight and you're in a valley you are in a low spot. Some of the deepest valleys for me have always been connected to death. The passing of my father-in-law suddenly about seven Christmases ago was a valley. Having to stand and participate in three funerals of, of teenagers that I was connected with as a youth pastor because they got involved with drugs and alcohol for me was a valley. Being a part of a funeral service with my arm around a mom whose son had taken his own life, was a valley. Having a friend of mine who helped us in ministry die because they had breast cancer was a valley. Those are low moments. And those are moments when you travel through them, it's easy not to notice God. It's even easier to get mad at him. But God is with you in the valley. God is the one that's offering and extending his comfort to you in the valley. And as you travel through the valley, embrace the presence of God. He is there. He is there. And he has promises and, and strength and peace that he wants to pour onto you if you would just simply recognize his presence. 
God is with us when we run. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I take on the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Maybe you've been through a period of running from God. You're like, nope, nope, don't want anything to do with God. I am out of here. I don't even like this church thing. I am gone. And you are here tonight because you know that this is true. You couldn't get away from him. You couldn't escape God. You couldn't go somewhere where God was not, and you kept seeing God's presence even when you were trying to run. We got some famous runners in the Bible. Just talk to Jonah. God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Help them. They might kill you, but do it. And Jonah said, no, thanks. Going the other way. And he took off. And even though he ran the other way, he couldn't run from God's presence. And God showed up. It was a little fishy in Jonah's case, but God showed up. And God was there, and he couldn't get away. Just talk to the prodigal son. The prodigal son who had left and gone away and realized that, that the love of his father was still with him and was absolutely unconditional. And maybe you're here tonight, and you're not running from God, but somebody you know is. Somebody you love and you passionately care about. They know the gospel. They know the Bible. They know about God. They know about Jesus, but they're running the other way. Listen, do not lose hope. Because they cannot run from the presence of God. And he promises in this verse that his hand still holds them, even though they're running. And God can bring them back to him. And God is with us when we worship. Matthew 18, verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. One of the most precious things about gathering together with unbelievers is that we gather together to be in the presence of God. And he does it when we come together in a special way. I think it's sometimes funny that we sing songs that beckon God to join us and we tell him that the Holy Spirit is welcome here and we, we tell him to come to us in a, in a special way and, and to come like he's not already here. All we have to do is show up and God is here and God is with us. And those songs aren't wrong. I mean, we, we are gathering together and we are opening our hearts, but it's more like clearing the fog from your glasses and you go, God, I'm open, I'm ready. I'm, oh yeah, you're already here. You're already in this place. And now I, I see, now I see you. Now I see your presence. Now I worship you. And I worship, my worship is a reaction to God's presence in my life. I want to say that worship is the key to recognizing God's presence. Well, let me put it this way. God is always with us. We just don't always notice. When we notice, we always worship. We always worship. If God would appear in front of you now, what would your reaction be? Every time it happened in the Bible, people fell in worship before God. Every time God appeared or every time God demonstrates his power, the reaction is worshiping God and worshiping God and worshiping God. So when we worship, we recognize God's presence. We don't go through the motions of singing words on a screen. We don't go through the practice of just reading our Bible and praying during the week or worshiping through our job or worshiping through our families or worshiping through our finances we do all of those things because we see God's presence in those things and it fills our hearts to overflowing with worship because God is with us. Worship 
Look at Luke chapter 1. And with this thought, we'll close tonight. In Luke chapter 1, we now turn our attention to Mary. Joseph had to be convinced that something special was happening through the conversation with an angel. Nobody had to convince Mary something special was happening, right? She knew the truth. She knew who she was. She knew that she was a virgin, yet she was pregnant. Something's going on here, and it's above me. Think about this poor little girl. Think about what concern she have. What is Joseph going to think? Is he going to leave me? Is my life now over because I have been chosen to be used by God in some way, shape, or form? And so angels had to appear to Mary. And Mary was having a conversation with her aunt who was also pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Mary came into the room pregnant where her aunt was pregnant, the baby in her aunt's belly reacted. And they both immediately had this moment. And they said, Mary, God is with us. God is with us right now. God is with us. He is inside of you. And it's as if the light bulb switched in Mary's mind and she saw the presence of God and she realized the fullness of what was going on. She had been taught the same thing Joseph had been taught. She had been anticipating the coming Messiah like every other good Jewish girl was anticipating the coming Messiah. And she realized this was it. She was it. And the baby that was in her belly was God. So what did she do? She sang a song. She immediately broke into song. A song of worship to God. And look at the words of this song. In verse 46, And Mary said, or Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. In other words, she was nobody. She had no name. She had nothing to her credit. Yet God chose her to do something excellent. And she's not saying people are going to pray to me and people are going to put me on some pedestal. She's saying I'm someone that God deems special enough to use for him. And God is in the business of taking broken and lowly things and using them for a special purpose. Even you are used by God to be a fisher of men. That is a special calling. That is a special honor and privilege that God is working on through you to help change the eternity of other people. And then Mary turns the conversation. For he who is mighty, in verse 49, has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of his heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servants Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Like most Young Jewish girls, as Mary praised God through this Hebrew poem, 
that she may have been writing on the spot or she may have been repeating from other poems that she heard. She was thinking back to the history of Israel where they were slaves, where they were in exile, where they were ruled over, where they had nothing, and God came and he flipped kings and pharaohs on their throne. He gave those that had nothing something, and he did some incredible work through his mighty right hand to change the course of the nation. And he did it over and over and over again in Israel's history, and she just realized that it's that God who was now just present with her. So what was Mary's reaction to the presence of God? What was Mary's reaction to Emmanuel? What was Mary's reaction to God with us? Mary worshiped. Mary worshiped. And so when you notice the presence of God, what should you do? You should worship. You you shouldn't be able to stop yourself from worshiping. And here's some encouraging things, three things that we see from Mary's songs that helps us understand why worship is an appropriate response to the presence of God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. When we worship, we make God greater than ourselves. We magnify God in our very soul. He becomes the most important thing in our lives. He becomes the reason our finances exist the way they are, the reason our homes are set up the way they are, the reason our relationships are dealt with the way they are, the reason our worries are dealt with, the reason our addictions are dealt with the way they are is because we magnify God when we worship and we make him greater and grander. We give him our time, we give him our money, we give him our lives, we give him our all. We offer our bodies a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable act of worship. And so when we worship, we magnify the Lord. When we worship, we make joy regular. My spirit rejoices. We're going to talk about joy to the world in a couple of weeks. When Jesus comes, he made it possible to us for us to have joy in difficult times. When, when we walk with God and see God's presence, we can have peace, we can have rest, and we can have confidence that although I'm in a fight, although I'm in the valley, or I may be even running from God, when I notice he's present, I can have joy. Because God is here. The big, powerful, all-knowing God is here. He's with me. It will be okay. Because God's got it. So we can rejoice in our God. We rejoice in the God who saves. My Savior, she calls God. We trust God fully and completely when we worship. We trust him with everything. We trust him with all things. We trust him with eternity. Are you here tonight and are you following the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Have you trusted in him for your eternity? Are you still hoping to get to heaven someday? Are you still conflicted about what it means to be all in with this following Jesus? Are you still not sure about your own personal salvation? Tonight, I want to I invite you to see God's presence and to worship him and to realize that you need to trust him fully for your own salvation. God sent his son at Christmas to die, to die for you. He was born to die so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have a personal relationship with God and your eternity could be secure. And tonight, maybe your reaction to the presence of God here in this place, in 
And the worship that you need to go into is to accept God as your personal Savior. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved and you can do that tonight. After the service, there'll be some prayer team members here. You can talk to me. You can talk to the person that brought you. We'd love to have a conversation with you about accepting Jesus. Or you can just quietly, even in these moments, pray in your seat and have a conversation with God. Tell him you're sorry for your sins. Tell him you believe. You believe Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and that you want to accept the free gift of salvation. You want to, you want to become a follower of Jesus. Trust him completely. When we worship, God becomes greater, joy becomes regular, and trust becomes complete. Why would I ever want to miss worship? Why would I ever want to depend on myself and my own wisdom and my own choices when God is with us? So how do we do this? How do we put this into practice? We're going to talk about this over and over again as we go through this season, but the Christmas season is a time where you can intentionally travel through it. Don't let Christmas control you. You control Christmas in the name of the Lord. God is with you. And let's think about a couple things that you can do over this Christmas season. Number one, worship God fully. Make worship of God the determining factor in your schedule, in your planning, in your partying, in your participating, in your gift giving and and buying and exchanging. And then I want to encourage you to spend less. Listen, every business out there is trying to get you to spend more. Don't do it. You don't have to. We break records every Black Friday and every Cyber Monday. Let's not believe the lie that the more expensive the gift, the more I've told someone I love them. That's not how it works. You can express your love in other ways than going deeper into debt because you bought too many things through the Thanksgiving holiday. In the video that we watched, we said, let's add less to our carts and more to our hearts. I like that. But let's give more. Let's be radically generous, not, not just with our money, with our time, with our energy, with our, with our affection. So many of you are giving up your Saturday morning to participate in, our, in, in the community event for kids this, Sunday, this Saturday. We've gone to f- over 500 kids that are coming to the Christmas party Saturday. And our community is rallying around that. You can go online and sign up if you're going to help. We just mentioned, hey, if you have stuffed animals, let us know. And look, people just brought stuffed animals tonight. We mentioned on Facebook that there's an organization in town that's collecting $5 McDonald's Chris, uh, gift cards. Someone just gave me a huge stack of $5 McDonald's gift cards that we're going to now take to those kids so that when they're off of school, they can be guaranteed a meal. That's, that's giving more. Serving at a Christmas Eve service. That's giving more. Let's do that as we seek God's presence and then love all. Even that crazy aunt that's coming. She's coming to Christmas. Love her. Even that person that hurt your feelings. Even that person that really hurt you. Love all. Love the downtrodden. Love, love the person that lives across the street and has made your life difficult. Love the coworker that has pushed you down to push themselves up. Love all. There's no expiration date on who and how we love. Bible says if you want to change your life, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So tonight as we wrap up, how can you worship God fully this Christmas season? What can you do intentionally as we think about God being with us? So come, O come, Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come. 
We look back at all of these things. Who's your one and what are you doing during this season? Let's take some time to pray over what God is speaking to us tonight. Dear God, Heavenly Father, as we worship you, even with these songs of Christmas today, through the rest of this week, as we look to recognize your presence in our everyday lives, not just with us here on Sunday, but every moment of every day, God, we pray that we would see your presence, that we would, we would notice you're there, and that we would react with worship with everything that we are and everything that we do. God, that you would be who we worship fully. Help us, God, to, to, to practically understand what it is you would have us to do to be totally, totally in your presence through this Christmas season. And God, as we take these times to worship, we pray that you would speak to each and one of our hearts directly. In your precious name we pray, amen.
Thank you so much, worship team. We hope that you've had time to look on the cards and, and that you've been able to respond. And if you've made a decision to accept Christ as your personal Savior, if you would let us know on that card. Maybe you haven't yet been baptized. We'd love to talk to you about that. And, and maybe there's just something we can be praying for you for. You can just put that again in that card. And as I mentioned, after the service, there'll be people here who would love to pray for you for any reason uh, after the service is over. Tonight, we're going to do something that we don't usually do at Branch Life Church. We're going to take an offering. If you're a guest guest with us tonight, I want to ask you not to participate in this offering. Uh, allow the, the plates to pass you by. We'd appreciate you praying for the time and for, for this season of giving. But we are asking that God would provide for us to enable us to reach an ambitious goal in the month of December. And I, I, hopefully you as a regular part of Branch Life, have been praying about how you can give. And remember, we want you to see God in, the, in your finances, see his presence in your finances, and then be able to be radically generous. And we don't want you to give sacrificially because it benefits us. We want you to give sacrificially because I believe it honors God. And that God takes those gifts and he does incredible things with them and he multiplies them, and not the least of which is he takes care of you and your needs. As you look at this number on the screen, you, you see it, you'd be like, that's crazy talk. But when I see God present with us, that's not so crazy because he could do it. And it's going to take those of us here in this room giving. It's going to take people who are generous and, and not a part of Branch Life giving and maybe even some that are listening online to be able to give. And we are, we are praying about what God has for us in the future. And we have financial needs. And so we want to have these sacrificial offerings go towards that end. We also want to be generous as a church, and we radically believe that God wants us to be generous in all things. And so 10% of everything that we bring in in the month of December is going to go right to the Pottstown Area Children's Foundation to help them with the Christmas party and the food drive this year and then again next year. And if we can reach this goal, we'll be able to give them a really incredible head start in 2020. So we want to celebrate that. Maybe you're here at Branch Life and you're like, ah, I forgot or I wasn't ready for this. I am in your boat. <laughs> My wife and I have not talked about this and we have not prayed about it together. So tonight we're not ready to give sacrificially. But the sacrificial offering is open for the entire month. So think of this as a bit of a kickoff. And as you prayerfully consider what you give, if you're ready tonight, we'd love for you to give your your gifts and your offerings in this offering time. And if you're not ready tonight, I ask you to take the next week or the next two weeks, have some conversations, pray about it and see what God could do. And maybe pray about who else you could talk to, people in your life that you could share this need with and this goal with, and maybe they'd be inspired to help us as well. So as the offering is taken, we're gonna worship with one more song of Christmas. And then uh, the offering will come through as we worship. And again, if you can't give anything monetary to the life, you can give in prayer and in time and energy so much. Whatever it is God is asking you to give in this season, we, we want to encourage you to do just that. So let's stand together and sing as we worship through this offering tonight and this song.